Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, a podcast for how to run a small contracting company. Whether you're a general contractor like me or a trade contractor, starting fresh or been in business for years, here's all the stuff you never knew you'd have to know before you started your contracting business with the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki. That's me. Um, all right, now I'm going to kind of shift to some current, uh, events, you know, we're having materials availability issues, shortages, price spikes that are really rocking the boat where I live. Um, so what strategies do you have in place to deal with that? Either managing expectations, cause that's delays on home buildings are huge right now. And then are you managing expectations and then anything contractually you're doing to deal with that? It was certainly an interesting and provocative um, topic uh, and everyone has opinions. And uh, I wouldn't say that I have the truth about any of this, just opinions, right? And so you're asking for my opinion. I'm sure there will be people who disagree and have maybe thought about this more than I have. Um, Certainly managing expectations is important. Um, it's, it's hard working with a client who has a budget and then telling them, oh yeah, yeah, your lumber package just went up $60,000. You know, it's, that's tough, right? And, and so what they end up saying is, well, should we wait? You know, should we, should we postpone the project or I've had clients say, well, should we use metal studs? I'm like, no, you're not, I mean, not really. Um, so it, it is tough. I mean, I, I'm a little disappointed in the, the suppliers. I'll be honest. Like I feel I don't have any facts, right? But I got the sense that, I mean, I go to the home, I, I do construction projects on the side and I, I, I see that there's no lumber shortage. I mean, I just went, I bought three sheets of plywood at one of those big box stores and it was $95 a sheet, but there was plenty of it. Like there wasn't like, oh, there's only six of them. And I don't, when I talk to contractors, it's not a shortage. It's just, I mean, it's not a literal shortage. I mean, some people might be having that problem, but we're just seeing price inflation. And I feel like some of the suppliers have taken advantage of that. You know, the, the people who are, I don't know even who they are, but the people who are, you know, taking the timber and turn it into, and then they're saying, oh, well, we were shut down. And so, you know, there's a hole in the pipeline. And so we're going to jack up the prices because supply and demand. Well, really? I don't know. I mean, it went up like four times. And my worry is that they're taking advantage of it and the prices will never go back down uh, to where they were, right? That's, that's my fear. Um, but it does have an impact. We definitely had one or two projects that stopped because of those increases in, in wood and steel um, where the clients said they can't afford it. So they just postpone the project until prices come back into normal and I hope that they do now one interesting thing was I had I had a little bit of an argument with a contractor um, and I think your listeners would find this interesting so 
I was a contractor I worked with quite a bit and and uh, they you know they show my client their contract and I I'm flipping through the pages and I I see in the contract they've added this clause that basically says that well, well you know when you provide so you're providing uh, a price you're providing an estimate it's like TNM with a G max or something like that, or you're providing a number and then that, that you're, you're, you're obligated to that number with the exception of, you know, subsoils, you know, conditions are different than anticipated. You know, there's exceptions called out in the contract. And one of those things is acts of God, right? Like whatever that means, right? That, that if, if there's an act of God, you know, that, that, uh, then, then you're not responsible for delivering the project for that price. And this contractor had actually, if, if you dug into it, I could see where they, I read the definition of acts of God and they listed price escalation <laughs> as, as an act of God. So that if the bid for the wood package went up, they weren't responsible for it. And if the price of steel went up since they got their bid, they weren't responsible for it. And the list goes on. And so at the end of the day, I'm like, well, then this isn't really a price. Like you're basically saying the whole project is just an allowance because there's, there's no obligation for you to deliver the project at the price that you're stating and you have no risk. And so we had a little bit of a discussion about that. Um, and I'm not sure how we feel. Like I understand where they're coming from. But what I took issue with was just the blanket excuse of we don't have to be accountable for our prices at all. And if they change at all, we can change the GMAX. And I instead encourage them to see it from the owner's point of view that you know the owner only has so much money and they need a price and so why instead of just making it a blanket statement because you're paranoid about the price of lumber why don't you just make the lumber package an allowance right like itemize the things that you're really concerned about and make those allowance that's fine i get it right we we all know that the prices are fluctuating uh mostly up and you're worried about that risk so so let's so that's what we ended up doing and and i think that was a good compromise um but i brought it up just because that's one of these interesting and unexpected impacts of the uncertainty in the in the, in the materials that we're getting and and the supply chain um has brought this up as being an act of god which i thought was an interesting interpretation but uh, very creative, I must say. So in that sense, was it the was it just the way he presented the the that clause? Uh, because either way, the client either way, the client's on the hook to pay for increased materials costs because the builder can't eat it. I mean, your bottom line can well, disappear. If it's, if it's the G max is a guaranteed maximum price. Yeah, they're obligated, right? They 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 got to eat it. Or make it up somewhere else and that's that's the situation i'm talking about so what we ended up doing was you know the 
the market price uh, was taken out as an act of God, which it's not in my opinion. And we just put allowances on the things that they were really mm -hmm. concerned about. Yeah, which that's fair, that's fair, that's reasonable. And yeah, I, it's uncharted territory we're in here right, right now. It's, it's, you know, and going back to your statement a, a little while ago about uh, the not understanding the price increases. Yeah. There's soaring demand. So we, there's materials are being used there. There's a building boom happening. It seems like everywhere everyone I've talked to in the world says there's huge demand for yeah. homes. So there, there absolutely is and and not just new stuff but tons of renovations i mean we we've been really uh, you know knock on wood here but business for us has been i'm sure for most contractors as well has been really strong for the during the covid year because i think everybody's sitting at home and they're seeing you know my house doesn't really function uh or they're noticing the little things or it's, you know they're going to check off all the to-do lists you know while they're sitting around with, with time to waste in quotes, you know? And so everyone wanted to take on those extra projects. And um, I mean, the, the, the number of inquiries we get a day for renovation work is, is significant. And we, I, I have to turn a lot of it down, unfortunately, or pass it over to some other architects uh, who can handle smaller projects. And we definitely do renovations it just depends on the size and the scope, but you know, we're, we're pretty busy and, and it's a good thing. It's not a, I'm not complaining. It's, it's, it's good. You know, business is good. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if prices start to come down on materials and labor, frankly, and uh, if we can get a more normalized situation. I, I really hope we can, because if we can't, it's going to force inflation worse throughout the whole market, not just the construction market, but through the whole market. And then we're going to end up in a recession. That's my fear. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm no economist, but I, I, the banks are starting to, to lend on these inflated prices too. the, the, the uh, appraisals are coming in at the, at the, at these inflated prices for new houses, which, I did not expect to happen okay. this quickly. No, oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how what the extent of it is. I've just heard about a few in where I live that I'm going. What? That's that is very strange. <laughs> that the bank's going to lend that much money. So, wow. uh, and you know, there's all these houses that are being held back in foreclosure because they haven't released those. And if they okay. did, that would probably soften the blow a little bit. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, but again, I'm no economist. I'm just a carpenter that became a general contractor. So, um, so uh, getting a little more personal now, what, what do you like most about your work today? Um, the work as in my like work or like the, the process of the work um, or both? Both either. I, I, Cause I, I, you know, I'm, I think after you've been doing something for a while and uh, this is kind of coming from a contractor I interviewed a while back, Aaron Jones, um, you know, he, he asked, you know, how do you stay motivated? Like, you know, so because burnout 
obviously starts to happen after you've been doing something a while. So, you know, I, what I like in my work is changing over time and, and yeah. yeah, no, I hear you. Um, you know, when I first started my business, you know, I got a year under my belt and, uh, people would be like, Oh, congratulations. It'd be like, Hey, talk to me in a year. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't celebrating nothing, you know? And so I just kept, you know, talk to me next year, talk to me next year, you know, year after year. And then it was like five years and 10 years and now 15. And it's like, looking back on it, you know, I, I'm starting to feel like, okay, maybe this is going to stick, you know, after 15 years. Um, and that feels good. Um, <clears throat> so maybe I feel a little less uh, desperate, uh, or, you know, or concerned about sustaining my, you know, my income, um, just from a personal point of view. And so like that, that concern has kind of I don't say disappeared, but mostly been replaced with a comfort and enjoyment of seeing things get built that really delight people. Like that honestly is what really, awesome. really motivates me. I feel like um, I've, you know, I don't, at this point in my career, I don't feel like I have a ton to prove, right? I. I'm happy with what I've done. I don't feel like I need to go out and win some award or I, I just, I'm, I'm content, right? And I feel like the satisfaction I get is working with people that truly appreciate what it is I do and for them. And so I, I've become, I think, a bit more selective in my clientele. Um, if I get a, so for example, if I get a sense in the initial conversation with a client that they're just price shopping and that they see architecture as a commodity, like they're buying an apple at the supermarket, it, it's not a good fit for me, right? It's, it's just not. And because that, that person doesn't actually value what it is I do. And, and because they don't value it, they're probably never going to understand it, what I do for them. And so I think I have become more selective and I have become more, I enjoy, I enjoy the satisfaction of my clients even more than I did before because it's for a different reason. You know, in the beginning it was, I wanted people to be happy so I would get the next job or happy so they'd pay their bill, right? And now it's, I, I want them to be happy because I see that I'm not just, you know, contributing this cool building or whatever it is to the built environment, but I'm building a home for somebody and all the meaning that that has, or I'm, you know, when we did the museum and I designed an art museum and seeing kids take pictures of it you know, and, and, and walk in with their, their eyes wide open and their jaws on the floor and they're looking up like, oh my God, this building is amazing. You know, that, that's where I get my happiness lately is, is just seeing the impact of doing good work. And it's less about me and more about the other people. 
I mean that sincerely, even, even my employees, like creating opportunities for people to learn and seeing young staff turn into well-rounded architects, right, is really rewarding for me. And it's makes me smile, you know, inside. It's pretty cool to see that. That's awesome. And I can relate on some level to that, uh, that client who comes to you and just wants you. They want your product. Yeah. Because it, it's a way different relationship. It than, is. Than, it those really... than those window shopping tire kickers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the tire kicker. Man. Oh, man. Don't get me started. <laughs> I have a whole podcast about them. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah, and ways to avoid them. But uh, Okay. I can check that out. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, it's, as a contractor, we definitely get approached by a lot more of them, I think. And, you know, your oh. firm, just your people go to your website. They're going to be like some of them tire kickers are instantly. No, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, for, and for you guys, like, I, I totally get that. And I try to like, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, I consider mo most of the contractors I work with are their friends. Like we get, get to know each other and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I respect what you're saying because, you know, you guys, like what people always want from you for free is they want you to bid something out, right? They're like, Hey, you know, and it takes time. And you're like, you gotta, you gotta sort out like who's actually serious about this and who's just wasting my time. And, and I respect that deeply. And I don't know if you've ever talked about it on your show, but one thing I think is sort of interesting, maybe I could bring it up here is, is this sort of etiquette we have between architects and contractors about that topic. Um, and what I've sort of seen is that if, if I ask a contractor to provide a price, they usually do it, you know, for free um, at a chance to meet the owner. I'm always really straight with them. If the owners asked me to get multiple bids, then I will let the contractor know that I am also talking. I've also recommended these two other contractors. Um, and I also let them know that, and this is absolutely true. It's the owner's decision. It's not, it isn't my decision. Mm -hmm. I, I will offer my opinion about pros and cons as to their questions about, about contractors. Like, who do you think is going to be more expensive or who do you think, you know, will be on time or who do you think, you know, and I'll just talk pros and cons, but I will not steer my clients towards a contractor because I want them to have the responsibility for that decision, frankly. So if, if the relationship does, God forbid, go south, then I want them to know they had a role in, in vetting the contractor. Um, so that's, and I thought that might be useful to your audience just because there might be some question about what, what does happen, you know, between an architect and an owner when they're looking at picking a contract, what kind of conversation goes on. And for me, that's, that's it. I try to be really transparent and fair, but I also won't waste your time. Like if I have an owner who's just like, yeah, just, just go get another bid so I can test it. I really want to work with this contractor, but I really want another bid to compare it to. 
I will tell the owner that if you really don't think you're going to hire this person, it's not fair to ask them to spend the time to bid it. Um, would you be willing to pay them to do it? And that's what I usually do. Um, I do think it's fair that if a contractor has not been chosen for a particular project, like they haven't been given at least a verbal, like, Hey, you're the guy, then if they're asked to bid the project a second time, um, it's fair to charge for that. Um, and I, I think, I think you should do it. I think the first one should be free if you're interested in the project and you feel like you have a good chance to get it. But after that, I feel like you should be paid to do it. Um, I, I'm curious what you think about that. What, what kind of etiquette well, do you to the, to the very last thing you said, I would say, yes, I give one free quote for a house a year. You want a yeah. second one? Come on. But, yeah, exactly. but, uh, but I want to, uh, definitely, I, I, I echo so much of what you're saying. I have that very similar relationship with an architect here. So I'll know almost who I'm bidding against sometimes if there's multiple you know, if the client's talking to multiple contractors, but the fact that my, me and two other contractors names were given to these clients by him lends us tons of, um, uh, uh, um, credibility. That's what I was looking for there. And, and so in that, when my bids come back quick, because I, I try to get those back as quickly as possible because those clients are kind of vetted already. I know they're not tire kickers. I know I might not get the bid. It's okay. Um, but, but if I'm quick, I usually get it. And, nice. um, and I know, I, I mean, it's not like that with every architect that I've worked with, but you know, there's a few that if, if your company name has been given out because those clients went specifically to that architect, they did not shop. Mm -hmm. They've said, I want so-and-so to build my house. Mm -hmm. And so when he says these three people can do it, well, boom, you know, there's, yeah, there's and, 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 and those sort of clients are much easier for us to navigate because, because they've been walked through so much of the process already with the architect, there's so much design, there's finishes that have been chosen already or thought about at least, you know, the architect gets them thinking about how everything's going to come together, which as a builder is super challenging to add to my plate. You know, yeah. it, it, when I, when, I, when I can have a stack of drawings and give them to all my subs and my foreman and, and, and we're all on the same page, it's, it's so much easier to, to go through the process. It, it is. And to your point, and I, I want all of your audience to hear this and think about it. Um, I have a contractor who I work with quite a bit. They do great work. If they get a client that, if they get a client that doesn't hire an architect, they charge them more. They, they do. And successfully because they, and the, the, the CEO, I know the guy really well. And he's like, you have to think about it, Matt. He's like, if, if you're not on the job, then I've got to answer all the questions, right? Someone, someone on my team has to spend the time 
and, and, and help the client, you know, pick all these materials or make these decisions about lighting or figure out where the switches go. And he's like, it takes so much more time if you're, if there's no architect on the job. And I thought that was fantastic because obviously, you know, I think it's true, um, but it's to your point, what you just said. And so I think it would be great if contractors charge their clients more if we're not involved because it shows evidence of, of the, the, the need for that third leg, right? If it, it really helps the team perform more efficiently in the end. And clients don't often see that. And so I think it's super helpful for, frankly, for architects and builders to have each other's back when it comes to project delivery a little more than we do sometimes. So. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, in as far as contractors go, we always joke that if a client wants to help on the project that I charge twice as much for every hour they work. <laughs> That's awesome. Cause, exactly. Cause yeah, I, it just adds so much time. So yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea of, the, of them charging more if there's not an architect, cause they're going to put in so much more time. Absolutely. You know, when you need to, you need the, you need the drawings redimensioned tonight. Like yep. who's got time to you just worked all day. Just call your architect. Exactly. Hello, Matthew. I'll take care I of need, it for you. Yeah. I need this redimensioned. I got your back. Yeah. I like it. Um, cool. Yeah. So um, now I kind of want to ask a little bit about, you your advice for up and coming architects and um because you know you get out of school and you don't know where you're going and what value do you see in 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 an architect working in the trades a little bit or or getting some experience in the trades and so they know yeah yeah it's it's i think imperative actually um You know, if you don't have experience in building, like I've built my own house, I do, you know, side projects. I have, I would think a fair amount of, of construction experience and it has helped me be a better architect times 10. I think if you're coming out of school and you've never swung a hammer, you know, or see, uh, you know, or ripped a sheet of plywood or whatever, I think you really, you can't, I don't know how you can design because you, you know, I see young staff sometimes draw details and, you know, on our projects even, and, and I'll look at it and I'll say, well, like, you, you got to think about how this is going to go together, right? Like, how are you going to get the flashing under this beam when that beam is going to go in three months earlier, right? And so, like, you can't, like, so having experience in construction any amount or even just looking at it, watching it, um, hands-on is obviously better, but I absolutely encourage uh, any students who, you know, are interested in construction or design to go out, volunteer, get some experience. Um, I'm happy to say a lot of architecture programs around the country do a design build studio where they design and build a small house or a shed or something like that. So at least the, the kids are getting some kind of experience. Um, I guess the, and you asked about what other advice, I mean, I'm, I don't know, man, 
I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I grew up, I worked hard, right? I worked really hard to get where I am. And I, I see the 20 somethings and I, I'm sure it's like this everywhere, but it can't be just me, but the, the 20 somethings, man, they just, they do seem so entitled and it, it, it's hard. You can't teach work ethic. You know, I can't reparent you. Um, it's really difficult. And there seems to be this impatience that, well, I need to, you know, I need to be an architect tomorrow. And I, I, I need to be on this, you know, in this role immediately. And I need to do this and I need to do instead of just, you know what, just be a sponge, just watch and learn and listen and take your time. And, you know, it's, it's like nothing, it's like cooking a frozen pizza as opposed to, you know, making the dough and putting it all together. It's like, they want that instant gratification and it, it just doesn't happen. I can't just inject you with all this knowledge. Um, and the issue with it is that because they're impatient and entitled, in my opinion, not all of them. I mean, I, if they, you know, I try to vet that out when I look for employees, but I have experienced it. And when you experience it, it's tough. And so what I see is that the step, the younger staff who have that compulsion, uh, it's good because it's a drive, it's ambition, but it's, it's shrouded in this impatience and entitlement that is really counterproductive because you can't really learn when you're impatient. You just can't, you got to sit, you got to learn, you got to do your time. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really important. So I guess my advice would be to, to students who want to be an architect, like don't rush it. Like just go to a place, do your time, ask for a variety of experience and you will get it over time. There's no race, right? This isn't a race. Um, and more importantly, you don't know what you don't know. And those things are, the things you don't know, you don't know are super dangerous. And you're gonna, you know, and so ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and don't be afraid to do menial labor. You know, I, I think some, students come in they like well i don't want to do the specifications or i don't want to do the door schedules or you know it's like well, how are you going to learn how are you going to understand how this gets put together if you're not willing to do it i really like the starbucks model you know i don't know if you know this but starbucks they make their corporate executives go through and work in a, every position in their company they work and i don't know if they still do this but i had a friend who did work there and like you it doesn't matter who you are. You, you do your time as a, as a, as a barista, you do your time in the loading dock, you do your, you know, and you learn about the whole system and what makes it. Tick. And so I will, to that point often, like, even if I'm just negotiating a contract, sometimes I'll just pull in one of my interns and have them just sit in the meeting and listen to the kind of things we talk about. So they understand what that dynamic is like. And because if they're never in the room, Right? How are they gonna? How are they gonna learn? How are they gonna know all of the pieces that go to into design and delivery of a project? Um, so it was a roundabout kind of way <laughs> of answering your question. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think construction experience is imperative. Um, 
And if we have students who, you know, young interns who come in and they don't have that, I make a concerted effort to try and get them on a construction project, like get them doing construction observation. Um, we, or at least just drag them to the site, you know, when we have, you know, I, yeah, I always try to get interns uh, to visit the site. I think um, even if they don't understand what they're seeing, it gives them the opportunity to ask the question and also just observe something and realize, oh, well, that's how that goes together. Or, oh, that's what's underneath that thing, right? I remember when I was coming up, I thought it was like, you know, kind of mysterious. Like there was some mystery, like I didn't understand about what went inside of a wall or like how, how you put it together. I mean, I was very young, you know, when I was doing this, but it was like, it was a really mysterious thing to me. And so I like to demystify it for younger staff so that they can draw it. Because if you can't understand how to build it, how in the world are you going to draw it? You can't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got, I kind of got my, you know, feet wet, just building my own places. Cause yeah. I moved to a place where you could buy land oh. and there was, and there was no regulations and everyone was building places. No way. And, and I just, yeah, I was, didn't want to pay rent anymore. I was young and saved up my money and bought land and built this tiny little place and, and went on right. from there. Yeah. That's awesome. I started doing side work and then worked for a couple of contractors. And then I was like, this is fun <laughs> more houses. So yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I, and I, I agree. I don't know where the, where the, I mean, people are impatient. Our world is moving so fast. I, when I was a kid, it seemed like every job I applied for had competition mm -hmm. and now you can't find anyone to apply for a position. It's yeah. so odd to me. When I was a carpenter, there was always, there was always work. There were always other carpenters. There were all, whatever it was. I don't know what's going to happen with that. And, um, I, I would encourage any young person these days to learn a trade because there's a lot of money in it for one. And yeah. you're, and you're in control of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can get out of control working too much, but, uh, but you have, you know, that, that your destiny, your destiny is your own choice. So, um, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I should probably let you get back to work. You're a busy guy. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you being on today, Matthew. Yeah. Likewise. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, you can see Matthew's work at coats underscore design on Instagram or their website, coatsdesign.com. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Talk again soon, I hope. Hey guys, before me and Matt broke that off, we talked for a little while after and, and uh, he asked why I didn't emphasize the importance of this relationship that general contractors have with their architects going both ways. And so we're going to get back together and talk for an hour about that one of these days soon. Look for that. Hey, but I also want to, I also want to thank a handful of friends who contributed to this show. Um, Hannah Hill, John Arnold, Alex Bettisworth, Aaron Jones, Daniel Preston, and Brian Kaplan all had input and feedback. So thank you guys and enjoy the show and we will get back at you soon. That's all I got. Later.
Thanks for listening today. Go ahead and email me if you want to be on the show or want to tell me what you like or don't like about it at my email, info at thecontractinghandbook.com. And this is where I say, if you have not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you source your podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Later. Thank you.